It's good to be with you this morning. It's Easter. This is a day that we celebrate as a church. And I'm very glad that this year we can, uh, we can be together. It's still a little weird because we're all Western bandits with our masks and all that. But uh, it, we're still moving in the right direction. So excited um, that we've got the opportunities that we do have. And, um, and this morning we get to, to celebrate Easter. And it's a joy to be able to celebrate Easter uh, a few days back, my youngest daughter was asking me, Dad, what do you think is more important for the church? Is it Easter or is it Christmas? Because Jesus was born on Christmas, but he resurrected on Easter. And I'm like, this is a good question for us to have and, and sort through. Well, Jesus was resurrected on Easter. And that's what we celebrate here today. And that's what we're excited about because Jesus is alive. A man who was dead is now alive. And, and this day is a day that we celebrate a miracle. And admittedly, this is one of the hardest things for people to uh, get their minds around when it comes to the Christian faith. And it should be. Because what it is that we believe as Christians is we do believe that a human being who is fully a human, in regular human flesh like what we have, died but rose again to life. And yeah, that's a, a miraculous kind of a thing, and that's um, a big thing to think about. And it was a miracle that changed the course of the world forever. If it weren't for Easter, we wouldn't be a church. In fact, if it weren't for Easter, there wouldn't be Christianity. That's how it is. That's how critical Easter is to our faith. And, and that's really the big idea that I want us to think about a little bit here this morning. And I know it's hot, and uh, I'll, I'll try to uh, keep that in mind as we, we go through this. I'll try not to keep you baking out here too long. Um, but the big idea that I want us to think about this morning is the fact that Easter changes everything. Okay? Easter changes everything. Now, I know that that might feel like almost too strong of a statement to say, whoa, Easter changes everything? Really? Um, but... It's not too strong a statement. In fact, I don't think I could, I could uh, emphasize that strongly enough. The events of Easter are foundational events of our faith. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he validated all of the other things that he said he was going to do and what he was doing. When he came as a man in the flesh, he described all kinds of things about his knowledge of the heavenly father about what the plan of God was for the world. And those are all high, lofty, wonderful things to say, but one of the other things that he said was, and by the way, I'm going to actually die and I'm going to raise again so that you can see the power of God working in what I'm doing. And by the resurrection, he validated those very things. In 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verses 14, and then on to verse 17, the Apostle Paul, writing here to the, the church in Corinth, says this about Easter and about the resurrection. He says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. That's how important it is. He says, without Christ raising again, this is all just a waste. It, it's not going to work. But the opposite of that is true. If he has been raised, then our faith is powerful and we have been freed from our sins. That's why Easter changes everything. 
If you've got a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it, whatever it is, um, open up your Bible to, to John chapter 20. And we're going to look at the, the resurrection story here today. And I realize that most of us probably already know this story, and you've probably heard it before. Um, but if you don't, you're going to in a few minutes. <laughs> You'll have heard the story. And it's a story that's really worth hearing over and over again. And I, I want us to look and see how Easter changed things specifically for the followers of Jesus, the, the very first followers that, that followed him. Now, to give you a little recap of, of where we're going to pick up here in, in John chapter 20, if, if you um, know this story, you'll remember some of these things. Um, a week earlier, so, so we're going all the way back to the very first Easter morning, the Easter Sunday morning. A week before that, Jesus and his followers had entered into Jerusalem. It's the, the Sunday that we usually refer to as Palm Sunday. The reason they call it Palm Sunday is because he came in riding on the back of a donkey in this processional that resembled a, a conquering king entering back into Jerusalem. And as he came in, the followers and disciples of Jesus were putting their clothes down so that he'd walk over a carpeted entrance. They, they cut off branches from trees and palms around and they're waving those things and they're singing what we were just saying here, Hosanna, saying, save us, Lord. And they were looking to Jesus as the Messiah, the one that would come and save Israel. And that happened just one week prior to where we're gonna look at in John 20. They're, they're coming in, and, and as they're coming in, it's also during the time of the Passover, which was a great Jewish feast in Jerusalem. And so people had come from all over the place uh, to be there at that particular um, celebration, the Passover celebration, which celebrated Egypt, the, the Israelites leaving Egypt in the Exodus account. And as they're all together, one of the things that was important in that was the Passover meal. And so Jesus was with his disciples during that week in Jerusalem. He had the Passover meal. That's where um, the famous Last Supper took place with the disciples. And after that, that's where Jesus established communion or the Lord's Supper. And he did that with his disciples. And after that, if you remember, after they finished that meal, they went out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the garden there is where Jesus prayed to the Father because he knew his time had come to an end. And he was about to be arrested and taken and ultimately crucified. And that's exactly what took place. While they were in the garden, Judas, with some troops from the high priest, came and they arrested Jesus. They brought him over to the high priest's house. They tried him there. The Jewish leaders decided he was guilty of death. And so Friday morning, Good Friday that we just looked at, Friday morning, early, they take Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor, and when he gets there before Pilate, Pilate inter interrogates him and says, there's nothing wrong with this guy. But they say, oh, he's blaspheming God and all this. And he's seditious. He's going to try to, uh, you know, make people follow him instead of Caesar. And, and the crowd starts getting riled up. And ultimately, Pilate says, all right, fine. I'm not going to deal with this guy. Crucify him. And so on that Friday, that good Friday, Jesus went to the cross, the Roman form of execution. And he died on that cross. And before that day was over, they took his dead body off of the cross. And they took him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. A stone cave, most likely. Then hollowed out a solid stone and then they rolled a huge stone, a giant boulder over the door of the tomb. And that's where they left Jesus. And Jesus was in that grave on Friday night, on all day Saturday until the early hours of Sunday morning. 
And that's where we pick up here in John chapter 20. And here's what it says. John chapter 20, verse one. It says, now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she could barely even see anything at this point. But she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who is actually John, who wrote this gospel, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, even when it says there that, that John believed in verse 8, what he believed was Jesus has been taken. His body is gone. But it, still, they didn't understand the scriptures, as it says in verse 9, that he would raise from the dead. So the disciples went back to their homes. Now, not only was their teacher, their Lord, and their friend dead, but even now, his grave's been desecrated. That's what the disciples think. They just think, okay, some grave robber came, something's happened here, they broke into the tomb, and they've taken his body, and we don't even know where his body's at. We don't, we don't know what's going on. It's like, wasn't crucifying him enough? This is, now this is what they're gonna do with him? So where would the of disciples been emotionally at this point? The followers, they're confused, they're discouraged, they're afraid. They don't know if they're gonna come for them next. They're full of grief because this person that they loved so much and had taught them so much has been killed. They're in a really, really hard place. And all of their hopes, all of their understanding of who Jesus was as the Messiah, all those things were crushed. They really were standing in just a cloud of darkness and despair, standing literally in the shadow of death. Well, what about you guys? Have you been in that spot ever in your life? Have you ever came to, come to a place where you're like, I am despair is the best word for my life right now, or I'm hopeless, or I'm confused, or I'm afraid? Have you ever come to a spot where nothing seems to make sense or when your hopes and dreams have been crushed? Maybe you've lost somebody who meant so much to you and you weren't sure how to sort everything else out. I know I've experienced some of those things and I know many of you have as well. And unfortunately, what you learn as you go through a little bit of life is that those kinds of times come to everyone. It's part of life. Life is not smooth. Life is not easy. You can plan the best you can plan. You can hope the highest hopes. You can keep an optimistic attitude, but tough things are still gonna happen. Why? Because we live in a broken world, in a fallen world. It's part of our shared humanity. Everybody's experienced some of those things in their lives. Now, if the story ended right there, 
that would have been the end of Christianity. It would have never started any farther than that. Some discouraged disciples went to their home and just hoped that they didn't get caught next. And that would have been the end. But it doesn't end there. I mean, people might remember some of the brilliant sayings of Jesus, some of his teachings, maybe heard about some of the miracles that he had done. And that, but he wouldn't have necessarily been paid attention to any more than historical figures like Aristotle or Plato or Buddha or Confucius, just some wise teacher that lived a really long time ago. But that's not where the story ends. Uh, let's go on here in, in John 20. And what it says next in verse 11, it says, but Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb. She's so discouraged. She's so just devastated of this. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, just trying to make sense of everything. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now I think if, uh, if Mary were here to recount all that happened there, um, or even if she got a chance to read this passage of scripture, I think she'd still be stunned about the whole incident. She'd be able to tell you, she would say, I was just so upset. I was weeping. I couldn't see what was going on. I was confused. I could not imagine why they'd take Jesus or what they would have done with him. And I was trying to make sense of it all. And I looked in here and there's two people in there. I'm like, I didn't even see them come in. What's going on? Why are they dressed in white? I don't have time to think about that. Where is he? Do you know what's happened to my Lord? And then she's still through tears and everything else. She's looking around and Jesus is standing over here and starts talking to her. And for some reason in her mind, she's thinking, oh, it must be the gardener. <laughs> And, and then she just says, hey, just tell me where he's at, please. I, I've got to get to the body of Jesus. But then when he calls her name, then he realizes, oh, she realizes, oh, it's, it's him, it's, it's Jesus. And at that moment, that flood of emotions must have been overwhelming, unlike anything she'd ever experienced. And so she immediately does what Jesus says and runs to all the followers of Jesus but when she tells them, Luke actually tells us in his account that they just thought, oh, she's lost it. She's so upset. She's so confused. She's just, she's talking crazy talk. <laughs> she's just babbling about seeing Jesus. And they don't even know what to do about the whole thing. And they, they couldn't even process all that she was saying, but they soon would. And that's where we finish up here in John chapter 20, where it says in verse 19, on the evening of that day, this is Sunday night, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. But eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what I want us to see. Three simple things out of this passage of scripture here today for Easter, when we're thinking about how Easter changes everything. And the first thing that I want you to see is that in the middle of, of their fear, in the middle of their despair, Jesus comes with his presence. They're discouraged, they're confused, they're lost, but Jesus comes with his presence. Here's the thing, no words could have comforted the disciples. Mary Magdalene, it doesn't matter what she said to them when she came and said, I saw Jesus, none of of these words are gonna work for them. None of them could believe it. Nothing could be explained or described to calm their hearts and silence their minds, but his presence did. As soon as Jesus shows up with his presence, they're glad. It's like everything gets washed away and they come right back to that spot. They move from this place of anxiety to hope and from fear to faith. Even for Thomas, who didn't happen to be with him the very first night, who knows where he was at. But for him, hearing about the presence of Jesus from the other guys, That wasn't enough for him either. When all of the rest of your 10 closest friends say to you, we saw him, we really did. You're like, nah, unless I see him, unless I'm in his presence, I'm not gonna believe it. I'm not gonna buy it. You're all nuts. That's how he viewed it. It wasn't gonna cut it. But when Jesus showed up, everything changed. There's nothing that can substitute for the presence of God. Nothing. And, and we don't get to experience the physical presence of Jesus yet. In fact, as we've been going through the, the book of 1 Peter, that's what we learned in 1 Peter chapter 1. One of the things that Peter says is he says, even though you don't currently see him, you love him. And even though you don't, you're not yet with him, you believe in him. And the outcome of that is the salvation of your souls. That's what he says. But we do have the privilege of experiencing the spiritual presence of Jesus, specifically the Holy Spirit. On in 1 Peter chapter two, we've looked at just the last message that we had out of 1 Peter was talking about being living stones. How were these stones that are, are little temples of the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God? And that Spirit of God is the presence of God in our lives that we as Christians can experience. 
All right, so the first thing that Jesus came with was his presence. The second thing, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their despair, he also comes with his peace. He comes with his presence and he comes with his peace and they needed peace. Life was a mess for these disciples when Jesus was in that grave. And it was the farthest thing from their hearts at that moment when they're locked in a room in a hostile city. They knew that the the Jewish leaders came after Jesus. What's gonna stop them from coming from them? They saw that Jesus had been crucified on a cross. Nobody wants to sign up for that. They're afraid, they're worried, they needed peace. They're in total upheaval in their hearts. They didn't know what to do or where to go. But Jesus comes, and three times actually in the passage we just read, he says, peace be with you. In John chapter 14, after telling us that he'd send his Holy Spirit, is what he told his disciples before he had died on the cross, he also promised them peace. It says in John 14, 27, here, this is what Jesus specifically said himself, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus comes with his presence and then he comes and he gives us peace in the middle of the hard places of our lives. And finally, the last point that I'm gonna make here this morning is that in the middle of their fear, And in the middle of their discouragement and their despair, Jesus comes with his power. He comes with his power. Now, Jesus did a lot of miraculous things in his life. You read through the Gospels and you hear all kinds of incredible miracles that he does. But that's not really the sort of thing that I want to talk about. In in fact, in verse 30 there of John 20, uh, John himself says, Now, Jesus did a lot of other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But what I want to talk about, the power, the aspect of his power that I want to look at is what he says in verse 31. But these are written so that you might believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. The power that Jesus gives us is the power for living in freedom. He has the power to change your life. And if he has not yet changed your life, that power is accessible through the presence of Jesus in you. There's freedom from sin. You got a sin that is weighing on you that you know has got a hold of you, an addiction that's plagued you, a, 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 a thing that you just cannot get rid of. Jesus can free you from that. He can deliver you from that and set you free from that. He conquered sin and death If he can conquer that, he can conquer anything. And he offers us that same resurrection power to change our lives. If you've been around this church very much, you hear me talking about that all the time. We know that God transforms our lives. We're not trying to be Christians to just kind of slap on this other thing that makes me feel good morally or whatever it is. No, if you want to really live the life of a Christian, your life's going to change. That's what it's all about. So these three things are why Easter changes everything. Jesus' presence, Jesus' peace, and Jesus' power. And he changed everything for those disciples on that first Easter. In that way, just in that chapter, it changed everything. 
they went from being a group of followers, believers in Jesus that were so distraught and so terrified to becoming the people that would begin boldly announcing everything about Jesus to the people around them. In fact, they would be so changed permanently that they would declare in confidence all that he had taught them, ultimately even for many of them leading to their own death. But they had hope in that promise that he had offered them and in that eternal life that he had given them. So that's what, who we are. Easter has changed everything 2,000 years later. That single moment of Jesus' resurrection would then have a trickle-down effect that hits us today. That's why we're standing here today. We are now these people that have experienced changed lives. And our church, our little church, our little group of people here, our church is a part of that historical Christian heritage that goes all the way back to that very first Easter, that first Easter Sunday. And over the next couple of weeks, while we're here on this back deck, it's gonna be hot, but that's all right. You live in Southern California, you shouldn't be scared of the sun. It's all right. Um, we're gonna be out here, and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna specifically talk about the church. What does it mean to be part of a church? What, who are we as a church? What's the purpose of the church? How do we individually fit into it? And how is that expressed in our little local community of South Point? So invite you back for all, all of you back for that. Please be here if you can. But all, the other thing I want you to think about here today as I finish, the three things, those three things that we just talked about, his presence, his peace, and his power, those three things can also change everything for us. And they should change everything for us. Look, guys, it's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for everybody. Maybe it's been the hardest year of your life. Maybe for others, you're like, uh, you ought to look the rest of my life. This actually hasn't been too bad. <laughs> I don't know, but it's been a hard year. It's definitely been one. But the message of Easter is a miraculous message that Jesus can't be stopped, not even death. And so no matter how hard your life situation is right now, no matter how hard the things you've been going through are, Jesus can show up and transform everything. He really can, and he will. And, and if there are any of you here today who you've heard the, the gospel message before, you know that Jesus came to die for your sins, and now we're talking about the fact that not only did he die for your sins, he also was resurrected to prove that he could die for your sins. If you need eternal life this morning, then this can be the Easter that changes everything for you. What the Bible tell, tells us and teaches us is for everyone who believes in him, we will have eternal life. And you can put your hope and trust in him this morning and, and find that salvation. Because maybe you've already tried everything that you could possibly think of when it comes to figuring out your life and fixing things in your life. Right through this past year, we've heard all kinds of things about everything that you can possibly do self-improvement wise to try to do better. Right? All the... The, the self-help ideas and the self-awareness and the self-care and uh, this. But guess what? Yourself has a ceiling and it's you. And there's some things you just can't push through and some things that you can't fix and some things that breathing deeply are not gonna repair for you, right? There's some things that are outside of that, but God doesn't have a maximum capacity. There's no limitation of what he can't do.
And that's what Jesus taught, that those who would receive him, believe in him for salvation, would receive that. And I know that many of you are Christians here today. And maybe your eternity is secure in heaven. That part's taken care of. But life on earth is still a major struggle. And I know that's what a lot of you have been going through. Because I get to talk to you some, even though I haven't been able to see a lot of you that often. And maybe you do feel like, man, life is in a really hard place. Life's a mess. But that's not the life that God has for us. That's not what he, he came to give us. He specifically said, look, I came that you'd have abundant life. And if you're not living at a space right now where you feel like you have abundant life, this is a day to ask the Lord to begin pouring in with his presence and with his peace and with his power and to give you that abundant life that you need and that you want. Because with him, we can endure all things. The situation might not change. You might have the same job still or the same finances or the same relationship problems or the same health issues. But with him, we can get through those things. So let's ask the Lord to draw near to us with his presence and bring the peace and the power that comes with it. Amen. Amen. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for each of these people. I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you that you have carried us through this pandemic. And I realize that Things aren't completely back to normal yet, but we're getting there, Lord. And I pray that you would give us hope for those things. And I pray that you would, even now, draw close to every person who's here this morning with your presence. God, we need your presence. We need to experience the transforming presence of Jesus in our lives. And God, I wanna pray this morning for any of those who have not yet come to know you or have wandered away from you or it, maybe it's been years since they've experienced your presence or your peace. And if there are any of those out there today, Lord, I pray that right now that you would draw near to them and allow them to sense your presence. And, and Lord, that, that by your Holy Spirit, you would stir them to come to you and to know you, even in capacities that maybe they've never experienced before or never realized before. But God, we're here today knowing that you have the power to change lives and that no one is outside of your reach. And so I pray that today you would minister to hearts that are here. And even if there are those who know you and have been following you but are still just in a need uh, uh, for your peace or for a transforming touch from you, God, I pray that you would meet them there as well you draw close to them and that this Easter would be an Easter that truly changes everything for them. That this would be the day that marks a transition in their life in a positive, powerful way. Lord, we pray that you would bless your church, that you would have your hand on your church, that you would guide us as a church, that you provide for us, that you would make a way where there is no way. Lord, we pray that over these next weeks that we'd be able to figure out where the, the next location for us as a church is. If it's back over at Salt Creek Elementary, that you would open those doors as you open the doors of all the schools around here. Or if it's right here in this park, that you do that. Or if there's some other place, whatever you've got for us, Lord, we're excited and looking forward to watching you move on our behalf. And so we ask that you would do that. And I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage 
the people of South Point, that you would build relationships with each other, that you'd allow us to lean on one another and love each other. And Lord, that we would be those people that are engaged with the world around us as we've learned to love one another and also learn to love this world that is surrounding us right now. Bless this community of faith, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for Easter. And we glorify the mighty name of Jesus this morning. We love you and we thank you. And it is in Jesus' risen name that we pray these things. Amen.